Hi, I'm Rocco Imprevaduto with Walters Corps, and we're here today with Kelly Rooney to provide five fast facts related to the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, the CARES Act, and their impact on health law. This discussion is part of an ongoing series as we continue to assess the impact of COVID-19 and what it means to our future. Kelly, if you can, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Walters Corps before we go into the details on, on the CARES Act and, and Coronavirus Response Act. Hi, Rocco. Thanks for having me here today. I have been a health law legal analyst with Walters Corps for more than 11 years. I oversee a team of attorney editors covering issues related to health care reimbursement, health reform, compliance and life sciences, and my specific focus has been on Medicare prospective payment systems, the effect on the Affordable Care Act for providers and beneficiaries, and on health care compliance. Great. So there are there are a few more qualified than you to touch upon this subject, for sure. Um, and, and as we're clearly here to talk about this substantial and unprecedented legislation and its impact on the legal industry, can you just give us an update on what you're seeing right now? Absolutely. The COVID-19 pandemic has really been affecting every facet of the healthcare industry. Even prior to the passage of the Families First and the CARES Acts in March, the sub-agencies under the Department of Health and Human Services were already taking steps to address the emergency through agency guidance. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, has been issuing guidance since at least February, uh, warning facilities to review their infectious disease protocols, and the FDA has been trying to develop coronavirus medical countermeasures since January. So the legislation enacted in March is just the latest to address the situation, and it provides provisions related to the coverage of tests and services, availability of supplies, protection of health information, and shoring up of hospitals' financial situations. Overall, keeping up with the varying sources and volume of information is an enormous undertaking for health law attorneys. It's not, that's not to mention that facilities are also dealing with infectious disease protocols that are extremely stringent and evolving in hospitals, which are on the front lines, and also in nursing and long-term care facilities, which often bear the brunt of a widespread, widespread disease like this. Uh, further, all of these facilities, along with uh, equipment suppliers are employers themselves, so they're also forced to grapple with fundamental changes to their work environment and the uh, employment logistics due to the pandemic. So it's enough to make anyone's head spin. Yeah, I mean, clearly just, just an enormous amount of information here to try to unpack. So so let's take a moment then and, and pull that thread. Um, if, so if you can, please dig a little deeper and, and tell us what you feel is the most significant uh, development related to this? I can talk about five significant health law related developments that came out of the legislation. The first development originated in the Families First Act and relates to providing COVID-19 office visits and testing to patients with no copays. So group health plans and health insurance issuers who offer group and individual health insurance coverage are required to provide with no cost sharing coverage of COVID-19 diagnostic tests and office visits, as well as urgent care and emergency room visits that result in COVID-19 testing. 
Also, certain office visits related to testing are covered with no cost sharing by Medicare Part B. Medicare Part A covers necessary hospitalizations related to COVID. Medicare Part C, also known as Medicare Advantage, provides testing with no cost sharing. And there's also coverage under Medicaid and CHIP, uh, the Children's Health Insurance Program for testing, as well as a temporary increase in the Federal Medical Assistance Percentage, or FMAP, which dictates the share of Medicaid funding that comes from the federal government. And the CARES Act provides for coverage of the vaccine to protect against COVID when that vaccine becomes available, which is several months down the line. Next, the CARES Act, which is a stimulus bill first and foremost, primarily provides for financial support. So that's to businesses, individuals, and most relevant to this discussion, hospitals. The provisions that help hospitals vary in their duration, um, but most only last as long as the public health emergency remains in effect. Specifically, the CARES Act provides financial support to hospitals by expanding the Medicare Accelerated Payment Program, which gives qualified providers and suppliers the chance to request advanced payments from Medicare, temporarily lifting Medicare sequesters, which would have reduced payments to providers by 2% from May 1st through December 31st of 2020, providing a 20% add-on to diagnosis-related group rates for patients with COVID treated at rural and inpatient prospective payment system hospitals, children's hospitals, cancer, and critical access hospitals. It also halted the durable medical equipment payment reductions, which are planned to take effect this year, and eliminated Medicaid disproportionate share hospital cuts scheduled for 2020 and reduced those that were scheduled for 2021. The third development coming out of the legislation relates to the measures taking taken to shore up supplies of medical devices, protective equipment, and drugs. And I'll mention a few. Uh, The Department of Justice and HHS announced the distribution of personal protective equipment, or PPE, including approximately 200,000 N95 respirator masks to frontline responders in New York and New Jersey following the FBI seizure of equipment from price gougers in those states. HHS issued a notice designating health and medical resources necessary to respond to the crisis that are scarce or the supply of which would be threatened by excessive accumulation. Uh, That includes filtering face piece respirators, portable ventilators, and drug products containing active ingredients in hydrochloroquine, which Trump touts as useful in treating COVID, uh, but that matter is open for debate among the medical community. The FDA has also issued guidance on a policy to expand the availability of surgical apparel for healthcare professionals and surgeon and patient examination gloves, uh, guidance on how to notify the FDA about changes in the production of certain drugs and biologics to stay ahead of any shortages, and guidance on working directly with manufacturers to, do, to address shortages in human drugs and medical devices. The fourth development is a major push towards the utilization of health 
telehealth services uh, through the legislation. Overall, the Health Resources Services Administration was provided grant programs to promote telehealth technology, but also coverage requirements were relaxed as a result of the pandemic and a whole variety of provisions in the legislation addressed telehealth services. For example, patients with high deductible plans were allowed coverage prior to reaching their deductible. The requirement that a physician or clinician providing telehealth services treated the patient in the last three years was eliminated. Telehealth services were expanded for home dialysis patients. Hospice care recertification and home health services and Medicare beneficiaries may be treated, uh, may be furnished telehealth services in any healthcare facility, including federally qualified health centers, rural health centers, or even in their home, and Medicare will provide payment for them. The HHS Office of Inspector General also issued a policy statement saying that physicians and other practitioners will not be subject to administrative sanctions for waiving or reducing the cost sharing for telehealth services related to COVID. And CMS has issued an in informational bulletin uh, identifying opportunities for the use of telehealth to increase access to Medicaid services and those under the Support Act. And the last development that I'll mention is that prompted by recent legislation, the HHS Office for Civil Rights, or the OCR, was required to issue guidance on which protected health information, or PHI, can be shared during a public health emergency. As a result, the OCR issued guidance stating that it will not impose potential penalties for violations of the HIPAA privacy rule against covered entities or their business associates. And this will remain in effect for the entire length of the public health emergency. Okay. So, so there's obviously a, a multitude, uh, you had mentioned, of information out there. There are some incredibly significant developments which you've just detailed. What do you find to be the most unique or unusual about this situation? really all unique, uh, being that this is a public health emergency unlike any this country has witnessed in at least 100 years. Uh, that said, and although the government overall was slow to respond to the pandemic, there has been a lot of movement in aiding the healthcare delivery system through this legislation. Whether or not it's enough isn't a discussion I'll get into today. But at least the legislation has increased payments to struggling providers and hospitals that were already in a precarious financial situation prior to this emergency and ensures that patients that are tested for COVID receive services and tests at minimal out-of-pocket costs, no matter their insurer. Okay, then what's the next step or the next decision point we should all be mindful of? It really depends mostly on the duration of this public health emergency and whether more is going to need to be done. Um, for example, increasing telehealth services even more, shoring up more supply lines, providing additional payments to providers, and that's really if more localities end up with the situation similar to what New York and New Jersey are seeing. For example, the measures put into place by the legislation provide 
financial support to hospitals and the ramping up of supplies. But that might not be enough if this pandemic continues longer or is more widespread than projected. All of this may lead to additional guidance from the agencies, more legislation, and changes just generally that the legal industry is going to need to monitor. So knowing this is truly an unprecedented time and situation, um, if you can, uh, please take out your, your, your crystal ball for us and tell us you know, your thoughts on the longer-term future uh, and what it may hold. It would be nice to have a crystal ball, um, but I can say that the response to this COVID-19 pandemic just generally is probably going to be a building block for responding to mass pandemics in the future, which are bound to happen again at some point. Elements of the response to the pandemic, like emergency management at every level, national, state, local, even facility level, supply chains and ensuring the national stockpiles, acquisition and approval of diagnostic tests and drugs in response to outbreaks, all of these points may go smoother in the future based on the lessons learned in this pandemic. But the biggest question and what I see as a huge opportunity for the healthcare delivery system is whether this situation is finally going to lead to more utilization and expansion of telehealth services. The technology, clinical protocols, payment, et cetera, surrounding telehealth has made the maximization of that opportunity pretty elusive up until now. And this just might be the Kickstarter that gets past the hurdles and truly brings the healthcare delivery system in line with the times. Really interesting stuff, Kelly. Really, really appreciate you taking the time on this. Uh, for those of you listening, if you'd like to receive more information related to COVID-19 from Walters Core, please visit our free open web resource, walterscorelr.com forward slash COVID-19. Thank you again, Kelly Rooney. Your expertise is very much uh, appreciated here as we all try to navigate the situation. Thank you, Rocco.